grace and peace to you. Okay, and also with you. From God to the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. God is with us. His Spirit is here. The poem by Steve Turner, the day that comes from the book, The Day I Fell Down the Toilet. The poem that gives the title to that book begins as follows. The day I fell down the toilet is a day I will never forget. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Words do things. The Scottish philosopher J.L. Austin, as some of you will know, I mentioned he's Scottish in case you didn't. The Scottish philosopher J.L. Austin argued that in the right context and with the right person, that words do not simply describe the thing they refer to, a pulpit, but actually words have the power to declare into existence the things that they name. Example, wedding. I now pronounce you husband and wife. Example, a, a court case. Case dismissed. Example, the apprentice. You're fired. <laughs> Example, your papers. You're fired. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Participation is allowed. <laughs> words do things. And because words do things, people who have power, or want power, or want to keep on having power, know of their importance. So is it Frank Luntz, I think is the way you pronounce his name, is an American pollster, public opinion guru, guru and a, a, a wordsmith, He's often and has often been in demand by major organizations, including the American Republican Party, to help them develop words that work. Words that get their message across. And because words do things, and because words have power, words are often at the center of disputes and conflicts and disagreements and contests. Someone has written a book about American politics. And in the book, they don't say what has gone wrong with politics. They say what has gone wrong with the language of politics. And words are often at the center of debate and controversy. In Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28, Jesus is involved in a conflict. It's a conflict about words. And more precisely, it's a conflict but whose words matter? Whose words have authority? Mark, as you know, is a very pacey gospel. It moves at speed. And here, according to Mark, Jesus is hardly dry from his baptism. He has hardly shaken the temptation dust of the wilderness off his clothes. And he has just finished naming the first of his dream team of disciples. And he enters the synagogue and he begins to teach. And my, it is all going so well. You heard the reaction. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Here, the authority of Jesus is affirmed. Yet, even as it's affirmed, it is set within the context of conflict. For he taught them, not 
the scribes and the teachers of the law. Groups who had a major socio-religious significance in that culture. And here, on their home turf of the synagogue, he is said to have the authority, not them. Oh my, it's all going so well. Just then, however, immediately, Mark says, at the moment his very authority is affirmed, he's interrupted, a bit like me a moment ago. <laughs> but on this occasion, it was a man with an unclean spirit, or unclean spirits, as the case often seems to have been. And the man interrupts and shouts out to Jesus. We assume it was a shouting out that was going on. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now where I come from, there's a, a common reaction to these verses. People go, oh my. Isn't it wonderful? Even the unclean spirits reckon. Isn't this so good? Well, that can be as it may. Yet in the context, I don't think we're meant to read it that way. This is an interruption that follows a statement of authority. This isn't a confession of faith. This is a challenge to the authority that has just been asserted. Chet Myers is a... New Testament scholar, and he suggests that we can actually hear the words of the unclean spirit as defiant contempt. The Greek is difficult here, guys, so you might have to work it out. Chet <laughs> <laughs> Myers says that we can actually hear it as follows. Why are you meddling with us, Jesus, <laughs> from Nazareth? I mean, what good thing comes out of Nazareth? More than that, the whole business of naming is an interesting one. Because in the ancient world, in magic and in spells, to name a person was not to recognize them, but rather it was to get hold of them. It was to have power over them. When I was a child, I used to play a game called Chapter Run. You may know it by another name. I'll describe it to you. The idea is that you would make your way up someone's path, trying not to giggle or snigger. Sometimes you have to make several attempts of getting up the path. <laughs> and the, the idea was you would get there, you would knock the door, and you'd run away. But you only run away far enough that you can hide behind a car or a wall, and you can peek out. And you can see the person who has been disturbed from their supper or their TV program, opening the door and looking around either in bewilderment or anger. It didn't matter any reaction to do. And if you were very brave, once they'd returned to the house, you would do it again. <laughs> I'm not recommending this is a game you try. I'm not even saying it was ethically correct. I'm just saying it was a game. <laughs> but what you did not want to happen when you were playing that game, what you did not want to hear as you were rushing back along the path was the door opening and someone shouting, I know who you are. I know your name. For you knew they had power, trouble would follow. Either the next time they saw you 
Or worse, they might even tell your parents. <laughs> Naming is not always a confession of greatness. It can be an attempt to gain power over. And if you read the words of the unclean spirit in that way, what we begin to understand is happening here is we in fact have a bit of a, a verbal wrestling going on. We have a contest of words. It's a bit like a dueling. Have any of you ever done that? Sort of fencing. You know, you know the kind you have? That's a shame because I wanted to be the expert. <laughs> but, but you know the kind of thing I mean? You can correct me if I'm wrong. The, you know, with the, the white uniform? You know, you know the thing? Yeah? And, and, and the mask it, it appears in the James Bond film, Die Another Day. Was that a film? Yeah, a fantastic scene where Madonna appears briefly. It's actually also appeared in an edition of The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Those of you who watch it will not be surprised to know Sheldon did not win. <laughs> that kind of sword fencing. Well, it's quite a simple sport, really. Because there are two main moves. Thrust and parry. Or, as in many sports, attack and defence. And the idea is that through the movements of attack and defence, that you create a space. And in that space, that allows you, as it were, to land the decisive blow. Well, imagine the unclean spirit's words as a kind of verbal dueling. Attack. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Defence. Have you come to destroy us? The space is open. Attack. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Hurt in that way to the onlookers in the synagogue and perhaps to some of the scribes who may have been present, Jesus had been called out, named, subdued, bettered, defeated. The authority of only moments before, seconds before, has been shredded by a tongue sharper than a razor. But before this idea has even a chance to settle, Jesus responds. I imagine he responds like a soccer player, UK style, <laughs> who having scored a goal, runs along the touchline towards the opposing fans who have been cheering and jeering and simply puts his fingers to his lips. Or, be quiet, Jesus says, or, enough said. Come out of him. And interestingly, the mouthy demon no longer speaks, but we hear leaves <clears throat> with a shriek, crying aloud. Phonason is a word so you don't have to look it up. It leaves the man. And we are told that people were amazed, if indeed not somewhat troubled. As they kept asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority 
He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. In this little incident in the home territory of the scribes and the teachers of the law, Jesus has his authority affirmed, challenged, and confirmed. In this little incident where it appears at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, so many themes are highlighted that will appear time and time again as the Gospel proceeds. One of these, an obvious one, is of course that Jesus is a teacher. Some of you were at the Hayward Lectures. They required us to think hard. If we thought hard, I think we would have heard a lot of fascinating things. At one point, Dr. Oliver Badonovan, who's a tricky name to say, said this. Those who believe that the Son of God became man in this individual Jesus of Nazareth at a certain point in a certain culture and history need to remember that he took upon himself a certain work. And that work was teaching. Teaching, healing, and in so doing, living what he spoke and exemplified. But more than that, here we're not simply being shown that Jesus is a teacher. But where this comes, right after the calling of the first disciples, we're being introduced to the fact that to be a disciple is to be attentive indeed to the teaching of the one who teaches with authority. This is about Jesus, but it is also about the very nature of discipleship. And those of us who are his disciples may find his teaching astounding. We may at times find it new. And I suggest there's times we will find it disturbing. Teaching, this teaching, his teaching, his teaching that says to us that actually to be a follower of Jesus does not mean that we move away from bad company. Avoiding it, like the walk-in clinic where people have all got the flu, where we are afraid we are going to be contaminated by being in their presence. Instead, the teaching of Jesus is that we have to find ways to move towards bad company. For did he not say, I'm sure, it was him that said this, was it not? Oh yes, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So where have we learned avoidance? Not here. What is this? What is this teaching? His teaching that warns us that actually the familiar tried and tested may not always work. But in fact, that the structures and the systems and indeed the forms of church... And all that they have held so dear may themselves be damaged, spilled, split and broken unless we discover new wineskins for the new wine of the kingdom. What is this? This teaching, his teaching, what is this that warns us that some religious rules and regulations should be overturned, particularly if they stand in the way of mercy and help? For he taught, yes indeed it is good. To heal on the Sabbath and to save life. What is this? This teaching, his teaching, that says to us that they claim that Christianity is marked by health, wealth and prosperity is in fact fake news. For the marks of Christianity are the bruises 
of a shoulder carrying cross. What is this? His teaching, this teaching. What is this? The one who says to an unnamed, marginalized, culturally excluded woman, daughter, and gives to her not simply her health, but her dignity to walk back through the crowd. What is this? This teaching, his teaching, that reassures you and I that we too can be forgiven. For he said, I want you to know that the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins. What is this? Well, it's teaching with authority. Indeed, even the unclean spirit, oh, the irony, obeyed it. Because this Jesus from Nazareth actually was the Holy One of God. And those of us who are his disciples, we at least should know that. Enough said.